Blue Shirts fans to episode number 94 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. We've got a special guest joining us today. We, in just a minute, going to be joined by Mr. Kevin LaBella. Kevin is a good friend of mine. He works at the NHL Network. He's going to give us a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to work at the NHL Network on trade deadline day, because I think most of us can imagine it's got to be one of the busier, more hectic days of the season. So Kev's going to talk about that with us. And Kevin also plays in a band, the Unity All-Stars. He sings, he plays guitar, he plays trumpet, and they've got a couple of shows coming up next week in Las Vegas as part of the 311 Day festivities, which I will also be attending. And just to give you guys a little bit of an idea, once again, of what's going to be happening next week, we're not going to have five episodes, but we will have three episodes. We're going to have episodes going live on Monday, on Wednesday, and on Friday. So a little bit of an abbreviated week for Lockdown Rangers, but we'll definitely get some content out to you guys next week. And Kevin was also a guest on this show a couple of months ago. We had a great time just talking some New York Rangers hockey and going to be more of the same today. But if you happen to miss Kevin's first appearance on Lockdown Rangers, then go ahead and go back to episodes number 42 and 46. Like I said, just talking a ton of Ranger hockey and and whatever else we could get into at that time. The only other bits of news I have for you guys right now is that Chris Kreider, you know, obviously with the fractured foot, He will be away for four to six weeks. That is the diagnosis from the Rangers. They recently announced that, and it sounds about right. I mean, you're always optimistic. You're always hoping that somebody can come back sooner than expected, but, you know, you're dealing with a fractured foot. Kind of hard to skate and be effective out there if you're playing on a fractured foot. So that could take us to the end of the regular season. It probably will take us to the end of the regular season. So fingers crossed that maybe Kreider can beat that timetable, especially if we're getting to, you know, just a week or two left in the regular season and the Rangers are still fighting to try to get into the playoffs. Maybe he can come back sooner than expected. Or, you know, you never know. Maybe the Rangers get into the playoffs. Maybe they go on some crazy run. They get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then that's when Chris Kreider makes his triumphant return. You never know how it's going to go. But obviously, fingers crossed that we have not seen the last of Chris Kreider this season. And the other big news, Igor Shesterkin back on the ice for practice on Thursday. This is his first practice since he was in a car accident on February 23rd. So, yeah. Obviously, Shesterkin nearing his return, though. Alex Georgiev will be starting tonight against the Washington Capitals. And fingers crossed that Shesterkin can come back sooner rather than later. All right. And so without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome today's guest, Mr. Kevin LaBella. Kev, how are we doing today, buddy? Pretty good, man. How's everything going out there? Uh, things are good, man. You know, getting excited for 311 Day. I know we're both going to be there. And, you know, I, I, I would be doing a little bit better, I got to say, though, if the Rangers were on a three-game losing streak. But I think it's just a case where they've run into some hot teams and some hot goaltending. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. They're, I know they're coming out on this West Coast trip. I would be going to the game Tuesday or Wednesday if they, you know, we weren't out in Vegas for 311 Day, the one day they come out to Colorado. Of course. Of course it would happen that way, right? Always. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for anybody listening, you know, Kev, obviously he works at the NHL network and, you know, he had a busy day on trade deadline day. We were all busy that day, you know, just trying to keep a track on everything that was going on. Kev, the first thing I want to get your thoughts on was, you know, with Chris Kreider, it comes down to the the final day there. And, you know, is he going to get traded or the Rangers going to re-sign him? And of course he gets the seven year deal for 45 and a half million. I I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And, And did you think that they would 
figure out a deal with Kreider before the deadline happened? Uh, you know, when the day started, I, you know, I, I made a Facebook post. I was like, welcome to Chris Kreider watch 2020. And <laughs> we've been through it over the last couple of years with McDonough going to Tampa, Callahan going to Tampa. You know, we've traded our captain twice yep. and it's, it hasn't been a pleasant trade deadline day for the Rangers. I mean, again, they, they make decent moves and they do what they have to do when these guys don't want to sign these contracts, but it definitely makes it difficult to see these guys you love. You get so emotionally invested in, I mean, Ryan McDonough, he, you know, after playing with the broken foot in the playoffs and becoming the captain, he was, he was somebody really got emotionally invested in and yeah. didn't want to see go. But then to add JT Miller to that deal and, what do we get back? Nemestikov, who we just gave away for nothing. He barely played. He, you know, he played Hartford most of the time or yeah. was a healthy scratch most of the time. And now, I, you know, you see him coming out to Colorado and he's doing a pretty good job so far out here. He's meshing well with the Avs. So, you know, we didn't think, I personally didn't think Kreider was going to sign. I, I heard the terms of the deal and that he wanted a longer deal and he, they were leaving a little bit of money on the table and, it was that was definitely the big fish of the day, um, so it was kind of waiting on what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And if they do deal him, who's got the picks they're going to get back? Or are we going to get any young players back? Or are we going to get any you know any kind of major league ready at the time players back? Or is it right. just going to be continue to rebuild? So it was. You know, it was a busy day all around, and, and he was definitely the biggest catch of the day. Um, I, I was very pleased to see him come back. I think, you know, as we discussed last time, who's going to get the C? I think that might seal the deal that he's going to end up with the C now that uh, he signed this massive deal. Yeah, I kind of thought that he might be gone this year. You know, as far as, you know, the, the days and the weeks leading up to the deadline, it kind of seemed like it really was going to be 50-50, you know, whereas some of the other guys that you mentioned, whether it was, you know, McDonough or JT Miller, not so much Miller, but guys like McDonough, Matt Zuccarello, and uh, Rick Nash, you know, before that, I think the writing was kind of on the wall that they were going to be on the move. This time, I, th- I really feel like it was a true toss of the coin. It really was 50-50 whether Kreider was going to be back. And you made a great point there as well. Um that he could be the one wearing the C next season. I wonder, you know, maybe behind the scenes talking to Jeff Gordon and JD, if, if maybe they mentioned to him that, Hey, you know, no promises, but you're in the running to be our next captain. If you stick around here. I mean, do you, do you think that's possible? I, I don't see why not. I mean, yeah. you would think that somebody like Gordon or, or JD even hints at the fact that you could be the captain of the Rangers, why you wouldn't jump at that opportunity. That's why I never understood Callahan not resigning. Yeah, maybe they weren't giving him what he thought he was worth at the time, but you know, you're the captain of the Rangers. That's, that's, you gotta be held to a higher standard and maybe take a bit of a hometown discount. Now, yeah, the St. Louis trade worked out at the beginning, but boy, did it set the Rangers back a couple of years by losing all those picks. Yeah, and I mean, with Kreider, I mean, you make a great point there as well. You know, I I think that it looks like he took a little bit of a hometown discount here because if he wanted to, I think he really could have played hardball with the Rangers, maybe forced them to trade him, and then he's a free agent after the season. And now, hey, I'm Chris Kreider. I can negotiate with 31 teams instead of just one team. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, I think Chris Kreider already kind of looking and acting the part of the Ranger captain, you know, with what he did here. And, and, you know, it looked like... 
he wanted that seventh year. It seemed like that was kind of the solidifier of that deal, getting that extra year. Um, you heard so much talk about possibly going to Boston. And, and that was really the last place you want to see him go. Um, you know, he would fit that style of hockey they play. And they're, Boston's already so good right now. Um, that that could have put him over the top. So I don't know right. how how active they were in on actually trying to get him. But that really could have been a huge move for them. Um, there was talk about possibly Colorado. I mean, again, working for the network, you hear rumor after rumor after rumor. You know, we were hearing possible package with Kreider and Hank being involved to come out yeah. here. And what were the abs going to do after Grubauer goes down at the, at the outdoor games that we actually went to, which was a nightmare in itself. If you ever want to get into that, um, it was, again, we were just kind of waiting on sitting on our hands all day. Well, where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? And then, you know, he kind of came off the board fairly early. Um, again, last year, I want to say we really didn't get, it wasn't really an exciting trade deadline day. So at the NHL network, we go live with our coverage 8 a.m. Eastern time and we're live through the deadline and all night where, you know, it's probably our longest day of being live consistently. And, you know, we tend to notice that teams wait and they wait and they wait and then the buzzer goes off. And then all of a sudden 15, 20 deals come across the board at, you know, right as the buzzer goes off. Yeah. This one was a little more spaced out. You know, J.G. Pajot went off the board very early. He he was maybe the second or third trade of the day. It was still real, you know, out here in Colorado. It was 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and, and he was already off the board. We were, we were a little surprised to see everybody get going right off that. But once he came off the board, it was like teams were like, okay, one of the two big fish is gone. Then I thought, started thinking even more, well, everybody's got to go after Kreider now if Pajot is off the board. Right. And, you know, he came off fairly quickly after that too. And then I think that was why you saw the, the number of smaller deals and, and minor deals. And again, a, a lot of teams, you know, everything's major for them. Anybody who's got a shot needs that one extra guy to push him over the hump. But just the, the amount of deals overall throughout the day, I thought was a a massive amount. I think we ended up with yeah. 30, 33 deals or 34 deals total, something like that. 60 players, 25 picks, crazy numbers yeah. like that. I mean, there's so many deals that day. But so, you know, as we're doing the coverage, you know, we start out with we take Sportsnet's feed from Canada for the first couple hours with our NHL Network studio guys kind of doing hits throughout the day, you know, every hour, our guys, Kevin Weeks and Jameson Coyle, and I think Brian Lawton was on, they'll come up, do, you know, 15 minutes on Sportsnet's air, and then right around 2 p.m. Eastern, we actually switch over and take the coverage ourselves. But we're also monitoring TSN's coverage in the room, too. So the minute something happens, we were all over it from, uh, you know, every angle possible. But we're also monitoring Twitter. I, you know, I have every NHL-related web page open, and you know, we want to we want to get the jump on it. And again, with TSN and Sportsnet kind of driving the coverage, those channels are only in Canada. So obviously, we're the major, uh, you know, the major coverage of the United States. You know, ESPN doesn't really they don't really cover hockey as much nope. as they used to in the past. 
and some of the guys they have, you know, we have Barry on the show too. So we have, we share a lot of the same talent sometimes, but it was, it was just a very, very busy day throughout the day. Would you say that, you know, working the trade deadline day, is that the busiest day of the season for you guys, as far as just workload and just trying to, you know, stay on top of all these things that are happening and all these things that may not be happening. I mean, is it the most hectic day of the entire NHL season for you guys over there? Probably. And yeah. if, if it's not, if it's not deadline day, free agent day ends okay. up going like that too. Um, when it comes to free agent day though, you know, teams have a lot of time to make decisions. You don't have to sign those guys on July 1st when, when that window opens up. But you see a lot of those guys come off the board on that day too. However, you also have a lot of the guys that almost have the deals in place already before they even get to the free agent day. So it makes it a little less hectic because some of these teams have negotiated and whether or not they're allowed to or not, some of those deals are in place. They're just waiting for the clock to strike midnight to put the ink on the paper. Right. But I would say the only other day, yeah, not even day, really week or two week, the first, um, the first week or so of the playoffs, we get slammed because you may have a double header on NBCSN that night. And then you may have a double header on either USA network or CNBC, wherever NBC is putting those other two games, we provide the overflow coverage for that. So we look at the windows of that. These games are built in. Sometimes they're built in two and a half hour windows. Sometimes they're built in three hour windows. Um, if it's two and a half hour window, it's, it's most likely the early game isn't going to be finished by the time the second game has to start. So if that's the case, NHL network will start the late game until the early game finishes. And then once the early game finishes, NBC will pick back up on the coverage and then we'll kind of go back to our studio coverage at that point. So it gets, you know, we could be in a situation where there's a seven o'clock and a seven thirty. And then, you know, the seven o'clock game has a nine thirty following it and the seven thirty has a 10 o'clock following it. So we could toss out to the first late game, get out of it after the first whistle and then have to kick right out to the second late game. So it gets, right. it gets pretty crazy and, and blacking out the markets of the games we're showing gets involved. Sometimes we have to, you know, if we were to say we took Boston, Tampa, to air, we would black out the Boston and Tampa markets and give them, you know, possibly Islanders, Carolina, the finish of the early game to those two late markets. Right. So it's a lot of coordination involved, but you know, it keeps us on our toes. And personally, that's my strength is coordinating that kind of stuff. And I really enjoy doing that stuff. And it's, it keeps us on our toes and it's, it's a lot of fun. And it, overall, what are we doing? We're broadcasting hockey to the country. So you'll never hear me complain about my job i mean I, yeah. I feel like i have one of the greatest jobs in the world and if you love your job it doesn't feel like work and you know you can contribute to everybody watching the nhl playoffs it's, it's a pretty gratifying feeling yeah amen and uh one other one to shift gears just a little bit here this just happens to be episode number 94 so i think we gotta talk about the 1994 stanley cup championship team do we not sounds good to me yeah, man. So I was I was only seven years old when they won the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, I do have some very foggy memories of that playoff run. And certainly I remember, you know, the face off with one point six seconds left that, that ended the game and set off the celebration. But I mean, what are your memories of that team? Were, were you into the Rangers back then? 
so as a very young kid, I was attracted to Gretzky as a hockey yeah. fan. So I kind of rooted for the Kings, but I always rooted for the Rangers because I lived near Playland back in Port Chester, New York, and we used to go to the Ranger practices. And this was the Ty Domi and uh, James Patrick and Tony Amante and Mike Gartner and, and those guys. And then obviously the Leach Graves, Messier. But we, the, I, it was so electric in New York at that time. And, it, and the team was starved. And after that 92, 93 season where, you know, Pittsburgh wipes them out and Graves slashes the wrist really nasty and Lemieux goes out with the injury and they, they really collapsed. But then, you know, getting Keenan in there. And I, I distinctly remember the middle of that season getting starting to get excited. But then when it got to the trade deadline and, you know, we were younger, I was 10, 11 at the time. You didn't understand the workings of the trade deadline, especially not as good as I do now, but it was, I, I couldn't believe some of the deals they were making all of a sudden. It was like a video Mike, game. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden Mike Gartner's gone. Who yep. the, the veteran presence on that team. And, you know, one of the top, you know, Ovi's going to pass him next on the all-time scoring list. And and even at, you know, he was probably 36, 37 at the time, towards the end of his career, was still one of the fastest skaters in the league. Our young superstar, Tony Amante, just traded. And, and you see the names coming back. I don't know who Brian Noonan is, and I don't know who, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I knew from the Oilers, you get Tikkanen and Glenn Anderson and uh, – then, you know, as I read now more about it, and we have this special we run, uh, Road to Victory. It's one of the best two-hour specials we run on the NHL Network about the 94 team. Um, bringing in Stefan Matteau. It's like, who is Stefan Matteau? <laughs> and now a name that will live forever in Rangers yeah. history. No, no one um, will ever I, forget him. And, and it's yeah. funny because, like, they, they really kind of went all in there and, and got rid of all these young prospects to, to bring in some veterans. They really had to win the cup that year. I mean, there was no two ways about it because that was going to set them back in the future, like like you were talking about. Yeah, and, and they, they kind of set themselves up going the Oilers route, getting a lot of those old Oilers guys. And, you know, Keenan had coached against them with Philly and lost to them. So he knew what he was up against. So he wanted some of those guys in there, that veteran presence. And, you know, skill guys playing with Messier and playing with Graves and, and some of those guys, um, you know, that seemed to be a better fit than the, to Keenan than having Tony Amante and Mike Gartner and all these, you know, bigger name kind of growing stars, older stars, growing stars. And, and yeah, we, we de- definitely sacrificed our future, <laughs> by, but it, it paid off. But I, I distinctly remember going in those playoffs, being a little worried it was the Islanders the first round because you never want to lose to the Islanders, especially in the playoffs, and then them just sweeping them right out of the building, blowing past them. I don't really remember the second round, but I remember that Devil series very, very well. I yeah. remember that I couldn't believe that they were down 3-2, to two. And then Messier makes the guarantee. You know, we used to get the New York Post to the house and, and seeing the Messier on the back cover with the guarantee, we will win tonight. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. And then, <laughs> and of you course, know, they fall behind 2 nothing in that game. Yep, then fall behind well, 2 yeah. nothing, And then he yeah. gets, the, gets the hat trick and Gary Thorne on the call. Do you believe it? He said he would do it, and now he scores a hat trick. You know, Gary so Thorne's awesome, got man. some of the best calls of all time, especially the Mattingly 95 playoff home run call. Gary Thorne, I wish you'd hear him. Oh, hold on to the roof. Back. That was it, yep. right? Hold on to yep. the roof. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. He was great. Um, and then I-, I could distinctly remember 
okay, here we go. We're going to the Stanley Cup. We're going to the Stanley Cup. And then the Devils scored that goal with, you know, 20 seconds left, 10 seconds left in game seven. It was like, oh, here we go again. And I remember yeah. Richter being being really pissed that the, the ref didn't blow the whistle. He thought he had that puck frozen, and he skates right after that referee and pins him up that, against yeah. the glass. And Yeah. And then, you know, Stefan Matteau. I watched that play over and over. It's such a simple, nonchalant play. You know, he dumps it in. Tikanin goes in and pinches and dumps the puck back behind. And, you know, they always said that Steph, uh, Marty Brodeur, he was susceptible to the wraparound. And, and you know, Mike Richter says that he, when he tells the story, he says he had the best view straight on at that net from the other end of the ice. And he just... I think I just saw that puck go through his legs. And yeah. and still to this day, when I watch it, I'm always like, does it actually five hole him or did they squeeze it in between his skate and he didn't have the post sealed? And it was his legs. It seemed like he didn't get his paddle down um, to protect the five hole. And, and, and you know, Mato comes around, two guys on him, just stuffs it. And, you know, one more hill to climb, Mount Vancouver. The other interesting story real quick about that game with with Matteau is I I think he had like a skate issue between the first and second period or not the first and second period, the first and second overtime. And so he was the last out of the locker room and the Eastern Conference trophy was there. And I think he actually touched it on his way to the (laughs) ring. So that should debunk the myth right there that, oh, never touch that trophy. Never touch that trophy. No, do touch that trophy. Apparently good things happen when you do. Yeah, I, I, you know, I watched so many guys not touch the trophy and, I'd never seen anybody with that look of jubilation on his face like Messier did when he hoisted that trophy. And it was like, and then, you know, I guess the same look on his face when he hoisted the cup two weeks later. But you just look at that. I I can't stand with the the guys not touching it. And then, oh, they do touch it. And then they lose. Well, you shouldn't have touched it. Whatever. Superstitions are what they are. I was a very superstitious guy when I played baseball, you know. With how I put my pants on, how I put my socks on, and I, I purposely stepped on the lines when I went out to pitch, and it, you know, <laughs> I, I get it, but realistically, go out and play your game. You know, everybody thought that the Rangers were just going to go out there and wax Vancouver in the next round, and you know, we didn't really know Vancouver. We knew Pavel Bure, and you, you hear the story get told, which I think is one of one of the greatest stories that you know. Leach takes the hooking penalty on on Bure in the finals. Now Bure is going to get a penalty shot, and that's probably the worst scenario you could have. Is yeah. probably the most skilled player in the league at that time facing you in the Stanley Cup Finals on a penalty shot, which you never really saw penalty shots back then. You know, we're kind of spoiled with the shootouts. You see a lot of different moves, guys doing crazy things. Nobody did anything like that. The only time you ever saw it was in the breakaway challenge during the All-Star game. So as the story goes, after they call the penalty on Leach and are call the penalty shot, Tikanen goes down and skates down to Richter and tells him he's going to do the same move he did to you in the, in the All-Star game, uh, yeah. in the breakaway challenge. And... Richter said that calmed him down, that now he's not guessing anymore. He's got a very good idea of exactly what Bure is going to do. And Bure does the same move, and Richter just gets that right pad out there and seals the post and, and stops him. And it's, you know, one of the greatest moments ever. And, you know, took the momentum back to the Rangers' side. But, again, you, you thought that they were going to just run away with that one. And it got way too close. Yeah. Um, 
You know, they thought they were going to win it at home and then they didn't. And then they had to go back to Vancouver and, and then come back home with everything on the line. And I remember my sixth grade, I guess I was sixth grade at that year, or fifth grade. Our band teacher was a huge Ranger fan, uh, Mr. Viglucci. He was my private trumpet teacher too. And he was the biggest Ranger fan ever. And, and we wanted them to win it for him just because he was so emotionally invested. And I just remember, like, you could cut the tension in the whole state of New York with a knife that night, that everybody oh, was yeah. so nervous. And then Leach gets that goal right off the bat, calmed everybody down. And, you know, you look at that game, and it's, it's the usual suspects. It's, it's Leach, it's Graves, it's Messier, it's Richter. Um, they really delivered that night. And you see, like you were talking about, that last faceoff, I, I watched that play because, again, we had all these NHL Network countdowns we run. They have a, we have the top greatest calls of all time, and, and J.D. and Sam Rosen are number one on that list. We show it all the time, and I just think it's crazy. You know, They didn't have the rules about the icing. You couldn't change back then because I don't think McTavish is on the ice on the play before that when all the toilet paper gets thrown, and then they sent him out there specifically for that faceoff. So, I'm guessing the rules right. were a little different that you could change on a face on a icing back then. But the most important part of that faceoff is McTavish doesn't even try to play the puck. He just tries to tie up. And yeah. here comes Messier from outside the circle and just throws a nasty cross check at Pavel Bure. Yep. Which why just, not? Because even if they call it, the game's over anyway. Yeah, that's again, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. You do what you got to do to win that Stanley Cup. It's 1.6 seconds from winning it. You do whatever you got to do. Yeah. But yeah, tackle right, him if after, you have to. right after he throws the cross check, you see Pavel Bure takes a two handed baseball swing, almost like an axe chop at Messier. And yeah. misses, he misses them, but boy, if he hits them with that stick, and again, I get where Beret's coming from, and, and it sucks. You're losing the Stanley Cup. You played your whole life to get here. But, man, that could have been, you know, suppose he hits Messi in the legs. Messi can't go out and get the cup and skate around with it. How much? I don't think you would have seen Pablo Beret end up on the Rangers later on, and Messi end up on Vancouver later on had that gone down like that. You know, another story that I heard, I, I forget which radio personality it was up here in the Northeast, but somebody on the fan was telling a story of, you know, before he became, you know, known on the, on the radio and, and, you know, hosting a sports show, he had tickets, you know, I think he was, he said he was in his 20s at the time, and he had tickets to Game 7 of Rangers Canucks in the Garden. And, you know, he's got the tickets, and, you know, somebody on the outside of, of Madison Square Garden is, is desperately looking for tickets. He really wants to get into the game. Obviously, this guy had plenty of money to spend because the guy walked up to him which is a stack, he said, a stack of bills, and just said, I will give you all of this for those tickets right now. And, That's and, crazy. And the, yeah, and the, and the guy, the radio you know, host, who, who ended up be going on to become a radio host, he said, you don't even know where my seats are. And the guy says, I don't care. I have to be in that building. It doesn't matter where the <laughs> seats are. And, and to this guy's credit, he did not sell the tickets to him. But man, if somebody, if somebody came up to me with that much money and I've got two tickets in my hand, I'd be like, Damn you, man! Damn you for doing this to me and making me make this decision. Because what if they lose and then you didn't take the you didn't take the the deal? Yeah, and now you're out all that money and you watched yep. one of the most miserable things. Like when I had to watch the Rangers lose to the Kings in L.A. I mean, that's yeah. a memory will never go away as long as I live. The the yeah. special we run on the '94 season. It's there's there's a couple stories like that. There's there's a couple of these uh, straight up New York Italian dudes that are talking about. Guy rips the phone out of the wall when when uh, 
they keep giving up goals and his landlord is threatening to throw them out of the building. And then there's another kid that talks about um, he had his high school prom the night of game seven and he's, you know, now he's can't go to the prom or he's torn. Do you know, do I take my date to the prom or am I going to ruin her night or do I go to game seven? So he worked out a deal with the girl's father that, okay, I'll take her. We'll go do the pictures and we'll go in the limo. And then the limo will drop me off at Madison square garden. <laughs> we'll go to Perfect. the dance and then the, the limo will take me down to the garden. And it's, again, it's, you see so many different stories of where were these people? How do you remember this? How do you remember this? And just the fact that it was such an amazing moment in New York that everybody will remember where they were and how it all played out and how that devil series played out and how the Vancouver yeah. series played out. And then personally, I remember going to the right town Hilton and just buying all that merchandise. You know, I had that hat, that black hat with the orange writing on the front of it with the Rangers logo on it, which unfortunately they used the same exact hat the next year for the devils and just swapped out the Rangers patch with the devil's patch. And it was the same exact hat. Yeah, um, but we had so much '94 Rangers championship merchandise. I mean, I'm looking at—I have a puck right here, '94, '94 uh, Stanley Cup champions, and on the back, Chemical Bank, which I don't think Chemical Bank exists anymore. The only time you'll even hear Chemical Bank mentioned, I think it actually ended up turning into Chase. But the only time you'll ever hear Chemical Bank is uh, on Seinfeld when Jerry finds all these ten-dollar checks from his grandmother. That Kramer convinces him to cash, and then he cashes them, so her account gets overdrawn, and she has to go find Chemical Bank, and it doesn't exist anymore. And then his grandma's lost on the streets of Manhattan. <laughs> Sounds like a Seinfeld episode. I haven't yeah. seen all of them, but I what I've seen, I do like. Eventually, I think I might go back and eventually watch that whole series. Yeah, you'll, but, uh, you'll love it, I promise. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's funny. You know, we're talking about this 94 team, and it, it just makes you want to get back there so bad. And, you know, you see all the moves that this team has done. They didn't go halfway with this rebuild. They went all the way with it. And, man, you know, maybe within, like, three years, you know, four years, we could see this team back in the Stanley Cup and competing for another championship. And, man, I mean, I mean, fingers crossed that they continue to, to just make all the right moves and put this team in position for success. Yeah, the young talent, I mean, it looks like it's there. Is it going to develop? I, I mean, yeah. I, I think they're, they've been drafting better. You know, I talked before that their history with the draft is not great. But it's been better. Um, I really think having JD in the front office has to help. And although Sather's not there, you know, he's only a phone call away. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, the history of this organization, you have plenty of resources to go out, old players, old front office guys. People will always look to help them out. Um, they, they, the way they bring their old players back, you know, with Drury in the front office and Graves running the, in the, the community stuff. They take care of their players, and I think if they could, if these older guys can instill a little bit of that Ranger pride, I, I think a problem could be some of these young kids never saw the Rangers good. You know, that was, it was, 94 was so long ago. These kids weren't alive yet. They don't know yeah. how exciting that was. I think if they could somehow show, and, you know, you talk about the history of the Rangers. Yeah, it, it's a rich history, and it's, it's a long history. It hasn't been a successful history. It's usually they're the runner-up or they're the they're the bridesmaid always. Yeah. You know, it's 79. They, they should have won that year. and They didn't. And, and some of the teams before that, and even in the 80s, there were a couple of years where they, they were good, but they weren't that good. 
Um, yeah. You, you got well, to, no. you, t- you know, the Yankees, people study the history of the Yankees and it doesn't go away. You got to remind the teams of what they're playing for and the people past and, and the tradition that comes along with being a Ranger. I think that that goes a long way. Um, you know, I know when they were talking about, God, I guess it was probably before AV got hired and, and Messier was in the in the picture for possibly being a head coach. Um, that looked like it would be a good idea. Now, whether he could coach or not, I think just the name Mark Messier, those kids would listen to and 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 respond to and and maybe just play a little harder. Like, well, if he did it, I should do it. You know, that next man up mentality. Like, if he's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And if I can't do it, then we're never going to get it done. All right, guys, that is going to do it for part one of our two-part interview with Mr. Kevin LaBella from the NHL Network. Always a good time talking with Kevin about all things blue shirts and obviously today reminiscing about the 1994 Stanley Cup championship team. But once again, we are out of time for today. So thanks again for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with this podcast, send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com and absolutely give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, guys, thanks for tuning in. I will see you next time.